Welcome back to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, a show that's by sports PTs and for sports PT professionals. We're here to accelerate growth in your sports PT career while giving you the tools to provide your athletes with game-changing results. Here's your host, sports physical therapist and practice owner, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt want to thank you guys for tuning into the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. It means a ton to us here at True Sports that you're listening, that you're sharing, that you're liking. We love the feedback, and we've really catered a lot of what we do here to the feedback we get from you guys because this physical therapy podcast is for you, the sports physical therapist. So please don't hesitate to reach out again or for the first time and just let us know what you want to hear about. Today's a great conversation with Dr. Ben Kelly. Um, he is a Wisconsin sports resident graduate, and we really lift up the hood on all things residency, specifically sports residency. We talk about why you should do a residency or why you should not do a residency. We talk about how to find the proper residency, the correct residency for you, because they are definitely not all created equal. And we want to talk, we talk about what questions you should ask when you're interviewing for a residency so you can discern is this the right place for you? We also get into some, some coffee talk. We talk about dark roast, light roast. Ben Kelly is, is really a, a pleasure to have on the pod. He has taught me so much during his career. He's the first patient uh, I got to treat Ben Kelly um, very, very early on in my career. So hopefully I've become a little bit better of a PT since I, I treated him. Um, but you're going to learn a ton. He, he really has an eclectic background. Um, and he's a burgeoning star in the sports physical therapy realm and world. So I can't wait to get your feedback on this conversation. And I, I, I really appreciate you guys tuning in to learn from Dr. Ben Kelly. So out further ado, here's Ben Kelly. Welcome back to the true sports physical therapy podcast, Dr. Ben Kelly is joining us today, and I personally want to learn all about um, the residency process, what it's like to be a resident, what it's like um, to go through the program, what it's like to apply, what it's like to be accepted, to be rejected, et cetera, and everything that we can find out about being a resident in the physical therapy world, specifically here, a sports resident. Uh, Dr. Ben Kelly is going to really enlighten <clears throat> us, so I'm looking forward. Um, Ben, what have Don't you me. done? What have you done today to make the world a better place? This morning, particularly. Yeah, it's already nine twenty-three in the morning, Eastern Standard. Yeah, that's true. Not a whole lot. Um, still moving into my place. Uh, focused on on getting some some good coffee and in the morning. That's usually my part of my morning routine. Just kind of prepping for the for the day to come. Okay, well, that's one thing that you've done. If you're prepping, you're improving. So I love that. You're not just coasting. Tell me about your coffee. Well, right now I'm on a Costco uh, medium roast. Ben. Um, it's, I'm in between. I'm in between. But, but normally I have my, uh, my trade coffee. I subscribe to trade coffee. Good choice. So Shout out. Trade coffee. Right now, <clears throat> right now I'm getting it, I think, every two weeks. Um, and that puts it kind of right at the edge. I'm running out just as it comes, but uh, I'm a big I'm a big light roast guy, and I know I know I can see the face you're making. I expected that, um, but I, I think I started medium, went dark, and then I've kind of come back to the to the light roast. So, 
what am I missing? I walk into high-end coffee spots and they they throw me out when I ask for their darkest roast. What the? Come on, man. What am I, I missing in the light roast? I feel like it's uh, it's like underdone. I think for me, it's like the nuances. I can taste the I can taste their their nuances a little more than the dark roast. The dark roast has given me like that you know that chocolate that you know the heavier stuff. Just so. when I thought you were a grizzled blue collar Baltimore boy, mm-hmm. you talk about nuance and chocolate notes in your coffee. <clears throat> so thanks for dispelling myths. That's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna dispel. Let's do it. A million myths. Okay. So I have loved watching your career. It's Appreciate been that. awesome to to see where you've been, what you've done, what you've already accomplished um, in life. So enlighten us. Um, tell me about the Ben Kelly story. Yeah. So, um, I, the reason I think you had me on is because I just finished up with a residency, but I mean, that's, I had you that, on cause you're fascinating. Okay. Well, I was gonna say the residency is only part of the equation. Um, like you mentioned, I grew up in, in Baltimore, grew up in Towson until I was about 18. That's where I live. Um, freshman at, in college, went to Flagler college down in St. Augustine. Uh, did about a year there, realized that didn't really know what I wanted to do, but it absolutely wasn't college at the time. Um, came back, worked some, we actually worked some HVAC uh, for, for about a year before I went down to Orlando uh, at Motorcycle Mechanics Institute, where I was working on or learned to work on motorcycles there for uh, two, two years or so. And then out to San Francisco, where I actually did that, worked on bikes out there. Did that for three years, um, realized I wanted a little more, thought I was wanted to go back to school. So that's when I uh, joined the Coast Guard. Coast Guard took me to Maine. Uh, I was in Virginia, but then the bulk of it was in Charleston, South Carolina. And that's where I did my PT school at the Medical University of South Carolina down there. The um, Medical the, University. Yep. <clears throat> and then... Uh, grateful enough to to be accepted to the, uh, the University of Wisconsin's UW Health Sports uh, Physical Therapy Residency. So I've been there for the last 14 months and literally finished last week. So here I am Congrats, today. Congrats, man. Congrats. I yeah, appreciate it. Um, what, what's the carryover? What did you learn in working on bikes that make you a better physical therapist? That's a, that's an interesting question because I've, I've thought about it a lot and, and really – the human body is is just you know it's a machine just like a motorcycle is, um, but I like to say it's it's just a far more complicated and well designed machine. Um, so, but but yeah, I mean, spe- especially like diagnostic wise, you know, every system affects a different system and another system. So it, it's kind of cool drawing those parallels, and especially you know as, as sports PTs, I feel like don't always get super diagnostic heavy cases, but when you do, those are, those are fun as well for me because it kind of, kind of brings that detective hat in. Yeah. Let me push back on that a little bit. I think every single case that walked in, even when they are, let's call it textbook, they're post-op. Oh, this is so easy. It's post-op. We have a protocol and let's follow. There is always a diagnostic piece in the background, I think. So when you're when you're working ACLs, um, you know that that's my uh, pet project or, or my passion. Mm-hmm. You're looking at how the how the knee moves and why can't this patient do blank, um, and and trying to diagnose that and then distill it down and explain it like you could explain it to a seven year old. 
Absolutely. And, and, and so that's a diagnostics. I think there's awesome carry over there. Also, I love your, your explanation of that we are a machine. I think we forget that. Not only that, how amazing this machine is. Uh, it is, it's why I still love treating. I'm 15 years in. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe who, whatever you believe in, whoever put us together, that we were, were put together like this yeah. and, and that it, it ever works. Usually this is a part of my shoulder spiel <clears> where <throat> when I explain to a, to an athlete how the human shoulder works, it's, it's a miracle. I, it's crazy that it ever works properly and that we get ticked off when, when it doesn't work po properly um, because it, it's a miracle that it works like that. Great Louis C.K. bit on Wi-Fi on planes and when we Check get pissed out. off we'll get pissed off we're flying over the atlantic he says like we're in this <clears throat> timonia or we're in this titanium tube or whatever the hell we're in you know better than me and we get pissed off when we're thirty thousand feet up and the wi-fi doesn't freaking work or it's slow and god yeah. knows i've written emails to southwest saying what the f <laughs> i paid eight dollars and your goddamn wi-fi was slow so yeah um that, that's that's great, Carrie. I'm, I'm glad you learned that. And let's keep that at the forefront when we're walking in with these patients and athletes to say, my God, this is amazing that it ever works. That's why I love treating high-level athletes because, man, what they can do with, with their physiology yeah. is super impressive. So um, that that's kind of my, my takeaway on your spiel there. Okay, so did you – once you – let's say once you got into the Coast Guard, mm -hmm. did you always know you wanted to go towards physical therapy? Uh, another good question. So I, I PT was put onto my radar when I was training for the Coast Guard. Um, I, I played soccer for four years in high school. And then after high school, I was like, man, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want anything to do with exercising, working out. So needless to say, you know, when I wanted to go into the Coast Guard five years later, um, I needed to get back in shape. And I was under the impression that if I finished top of my class for physical fitness standards, I could choose wherever I wanted to go. Um, what a what a stupid um, idea! Like no, not at all. Um, <clears throat> mainly, I, I I needed to learn to run, um, and I, I of course gave myself self uh, shin splints like any new runner does, and. You know, I, I tried to treat it on my own for a while, and then I ended up uh, with you, um, and that's where I actually met you. And I remember rehabbing, thinking to myself, you know, hmm, you know, I, I knew that I didn't want to do the Coast Guard for a career. I knew this was kind of going to be a launching pad. And my thought was, hey, you know, if I could do something every day that interests me enough to pay the bills and then allow me to live my passion on the side, then that's, I think, what it is. I mean, I think to love what you do is an absolute blessing. And I think most people are not blessed with that. Um, so that's what it started as. And then as I got more into it and, and kind of found my, my niche of sports, um, I began to, to truly love it. So I think that's when, you know, PT got put on my radar was, was training for the coast guard and rehabbing through that. And then the passion you displayed in, <clears throat> I guess, qualifying to be accepted into physical therapy school. Also pretty impressive because you are, you're on a ship and you're taking classes. Walk me yeah. through how that, how that works. Yeah. So I had, you know, I did my freshman year at Flagler. So I had, you know, three years, give or take of classes left. Um, and then the other issue was I had did it, done it far 
or so long ago that a lot of my, the prereqs that I was trying to use didn't carry over at that point. Um, but yeah, so that was one of the benefits of being in the Coast Guard. I used their tuition assistance program, uh, was going to American Military University, which is an online program. Um, and at this time I was actually at the station, which worked perfectly. So we, you know, we worked nine to five, you know, doing whatever maintenance we needed to do. And then we, we would sleep at the station for either two days or three days kind of on call. Um, and it was that, that time that allowed me to just kind of sit in my room and, you know, hammer away at these classes. So it, it worked perfectly, honestly. Yeah. You say that worked perfectly and you say it like, wow, what a benefit, uh, impressive, um, to highlight that you're working <clears throat> nine to five, you complete a four year degree with three years remaining on that degree while you're on a ship between the hours of 5.01 PM and probably midnight. And then you're up working hard. I assume, um, certainly by, by 9am you're working, let's say you're yeah. up at seven. So, so the lesson there for me is, you know, I thought I was grinding in graduate school. Um, maybe probably in college park, I went to college park. Probably I thought I was working hard as an undergrad, even though I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You were working hard, Ben. Um, and, and you had this passion and drive to get to where you are today. The lesson is you think you're working hard. Everyone listening that listening out there thinks they're working hard. Uh, someone else is working harder. I guarantee you. There's um, always someone working harder. There's always someone working harder. It's always Ben Kelly. Um, yeah. Quick, quick story on that. I remember when I was a, a freshman at College Park, uh, I thought I was freaking working hard. And I, I just remember being on a phone call with my buddy. I went to, um, I did a year abroad, like a gap year between high school and college in Israel. And I made a couple friends over there. They went on to serve in the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. I just remember being on a phone call, being exhausted and pissed off that I had to go to my CRIM 101 class. What a freaking <laughs> joke. And I was on the phone with my buddy Smith. And he's like, uh, I hear like these sirens in the background of his phone. He's in southern Israel. He had gone to the IDF. I'm sitting in this awesome on-campus apartment in College yeah. Park, freaking out. He's like, I got to go. Hangs up the phone. And I'm like, Jesus, like my biggest worry is how long can I stay upside down on this keg? And yeah. he's <laughs> underneath a table like or, yeah. ru you know, running for his M16. Um, there's always someone out there working harder to achieve their goals. Um, if they can do it, God knows you can do it and get your ass off that couch and go to that CRIM 101 class. I digress. Um, you just finished your residency. Yeah. Um, so when did you realize residency was a worthwhile endeavor? Yeah. Um, you also had a role in that as well, um, despite what you probably wish. Um, yeah, we'll get there. I think it was – I was – I was volunteering. So this was before PT school. I was, I was volunteering, um, in your Timonium clinic at sweat. And I remember looking across there and, and you had already introduced me to Andrew uh, Livingston and legends, legend, yeah, and great podcast guest, good, good dude too. Um, yep. and, and I, you know, I had, he had told me that he'd done his residency and, and I had asked you, I'm like, you know, what's the deal with this residency? I had never heard of it. And you were like, let's put it simple. He just got out of residency. He's essentially a new grad, but he's practicing like he's been practicing for four or five years. And that's when I was like, all right, that's that that put it on the radar for me. And I'm like, all right, this is probably something I should be doing. Yeah. So. And and so now looking back, you just did it. <clears throat> did, did it decrease that learning curve? Absolutely. It's hard for me sitting here to say, yes, I'm practicing. 
you know, like I've been doing it for, you know, three to five years. I, I think it's all about your perspective. Um, maybe, and maybe that's something for someone else to say, who's kind of looking in at my practice, but it absolutely, um, you know, gave me the confidence. It gave me the high level of reps. I think that, you know, would be hard to achieve without that, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, Tim Ferriss talks about this when he, when he references, um, getting, um, an MBA and he calls it a real world MBA. And so yeah. he, he graduated from Princeton. I think he graduated from there. Um, he was definitely a student at Princeton and he said, I can take at the time, I think it was like a hundred grand and get an MBA or I can take a hundred grand and go out into the workplace and, and figure it out myself and invest and see where I fail or, um, save and, and see mm -hmm. what, what that nets me. And he said, I'd rather do that than simply, plunk down that money to Stanford and get an MBA from Stanford because I'm going to learn so much more. And chances are I'll probably come out on top. And obviously th that guy did. Um, I think it's, I think that sounds like what can be accomplished with residency. Cause I think you take a hit financially, um, but it can definitely speed you up. Now my, you know, my Tim Ferriss version of that, I, I, honestly, I didn't know anything about residency. They were definitely less common when I was coming out of school a million years ago. No one at my university talked to me about that and maybe going into that. Maybe that's because I barely got out of my graduate program, let alone getting into a residency. So I don't know, but I think they were just less prevalent. I went to work at what I thought was a really good spot, a local outpatient orthopedic that said they did sports. And I treated a billion patients, a billion, like three, four an hour. Um, I did my rotation in Manhattan and literally five an hour because there were ball it was really like a ballpark appointment. Like your appointment is between nine and 10, just show up somewhere in there and I'll treat you. Jeez. And just, just getting the ability to figure that out and to manage can, can decrease that learning curve. So you don't have to go to residency. You know, I, yeah. I got my OCS, which usually comes after an orthopedic residency without a residency. So something I did prepared me for that. It's just a different path, I think, to, to getting really good. Um, and, and I think residency can really make that concrete um, and, and more predictable of what you're going to get when you get out of it, if you go to a good residency. So yeah. how do you find a really good residency, Ben? I think the first part of finding a good residency is, is doing a quality audit of yourself and of your resume and determining, you know, why you want to do a residency. And then I think beyond that, um, really just understand not just why, but you know, what you want to achieve. And, and that's, I think part of that audit is, Hey, where, where am I lacking? You know, is it, do I feel like I want more mentorship? Do I feel like I want to work with, you know, college and pro athletes? Um, I think that's a, I think that's a big element of it. And I think that's where it starts. Okay. So you obviously wanted to accomplish those two things, more mentorship, work with elite level athletes, what residencies, did you consider and how do you determine where you're going to actually get those? Yeah. So I, my, my take was interesting. So I applied to eight, um, with the idea that, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to get turned down by a bunch of these from personality connections alone. And that's the thing you just can't control that. So at some point you need to play the odds game and you, you need to realize that, you know, you may be fully qualified to do this and you may interview, um, but they may, the, the person interviewing next to you may vibe differently than you with the, with the mentors. And that's, mm -hmm. as, that's as much as it's going to take. So 
Um, you know, I played the, I played the odds game. I applied to eight. Uh, and then for me, I was like, you know what, I'm willing to travel anywhere really, except for the West coast. I didn't want to go back to California just because it's so hard to get back to the East coast from there. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I applied as, I applied as far West as, uh, Houston. And then most of the other ones were either in the Midwest or on the East coast. And I, I was looking at schools with, um, big sports programs. That was, that was one of the things that I, you know, that I kind of looked into. Um, but that was a little bit naive on my part. I was assuming that, Hey, you know, I'm going to go to these places with these big sports programs and I'm going to be treating their athletes. Mm -hmm. And it's just not how it works in most cases. I mean, there are some instances where it does work like that. Um, but I think for me, that's, that's what actually led me to Wisconsin was I was like, Oh, this is going to be sweet. I'm going to be working with Badger athletes. Um, not at all. Like we, we did not work with the Badger athletes, but I don't think that's a bad thing. In fact, they, it's a well thought out process as to why we didn't work with them. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it turned out for the, for the, for the better, for sure. How do you gauge whether you're going to be working with, yeah. varsity athletes is that possible um yeah i mean it's as simple as as knowing the right questions to ask and give me know, those I, questions what do you ask you know who are the i guess so sports residencies are broken into uh clinic treatment and then also outreach your outreach is your training room and your on-field coverage so i think i think it's important just to be you know blunt and you know upfront and be like hey you know with the outreach component, who are the athletes that we're going to be working with? Mm-hmm. Um, they should, they should tell you. I mean, if it's a, if it's a reputable residency, they shouldn't be trying to hide anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. So you ask, am I working with the Wolverines? Let's say, um, am I, am I working with, if you're going to Michigan, am I going to be working with those athletes? Are you saying that well, that's an acceptable or an expected question? I would think to, so. Yeah. To ask them. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when you asked when you asked Wisconsin, they said, "No, nah, you're not going to be working with the Badgers." Yeah. They oh. they said, "No, you're going to be doing, uh, you're going to be working in a high school training room and on the field, uh, you know, with uh, with high school athletes." Um, so the way the way Wisconsin does it is, we work at two schools, and what's interesting is that the Mad- in the Madison area the athletic trainers are actually hired and on staff with UW health, which is the big hospital system. So we already have a connection to these schools and these trainers. And we've used the two trainers, um, you know, for, I think my trainer, Matt, Matt Uftering has been there for 10 years or so. And then, uh, the other trainer at one of the other schools across town has been there for a few years as well. So we work at the same high school for the entire year we cover whatever sports are in season and we're working in the training room, uh, Thursday, Fridays, and then Saturdays. Um, which at first I was like, ah, I want to work with college athletes. Um, and for me, I quickly realized like, you know, this is cool. This is actually going to be better. I had had the opportunity to already work with a lot of college and pro athletes. So it wasn't like, Oh, I need this experience, you know, to kind of top me off. But what I realized was that when you're working with high school athletes, especially when it's just you and the athletic trainer, you're, you're the person, you're the man or the woman in the training room and on the field. Um, if, if there is a, you know, if there's someone who comes in the training room, 
that person is mine to evaluate and treat if I want them. Um, if someone goes down on the field, then, you know, it's a matter of, Hey, can I get there quicker than my trainer? You know, and, and then I'm treating that person. I'm, I'm evaluating them. I'm talking to them and I'm treating them. Whereas, you know, in most college settings, you know, I think you run the issue of, Hey, you know, where are you in that pecking order? Are you, are you there watching the, you know, the team, uh, physician or surgeon, you know, doing the lock mins or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really um, great insight. That I think that's awesome to know, um, and totally totally makes sense. You know, I think about all the pros that we get to work with at True Sports, and there's a there's a pecking order everywhere. Um, so sure. in, so the ability to be at the top of that pecking order, like in in a high level high school, let's say area, um, certainly brings a tremendous amount of value. You might just be holding a clipboard if you get your yeah. residency with. Uh, the, the Ravens or, or whatever it is, yeah. or if that's a team you're covering. So um, I can totally understand that and re- and respect that. When you're applying to residencies, um, are, you, are you paying per application? What yeah. stopped you from, from applying to 100 schools? Yeah, I, I think somewhere in my mind, I, I thought to myself that, you know, eight was enough. I had, I had a good enough feeling with the, you know, communications that I had with these programs beforehand um, and then, yeah, it became a financial thing. I, I forget the exact price. It's, it's all done on PT cast, like, like mm-hmm. applying to PT school is, um, but you know how it is. Everyone's, everyone's got their hand out. So, you know, PT cast wants an application fee. Um, if I re- if I remember correctly, you were, you know, the school was, was taking a small one, a small fee. Um, so at some point, it, it became a financial thing and it was expensive. I mean, it was, it, it was this whole, I feel like the whole last four or five years of my life have just been a massive investment in my future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's already paying off, obviously. What other questions are musts in order to determine that you get the right residency? So that's a great question because part of being a resident at UW, like, I mean, I field questions from people all the time. I mean, I was, I was in my U-Haul truck, you know, moving, talking to a student from Northwestern, um, answering these questions. And I think one of the things I try and I, I try and highlight a couple things. And one is the coverage is the outreach that it's with high school athletes and Hey, don't, don't sleep on this. You know, don't look at this as a negative, look at it for the positives that I, that I showed. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, the other one that I talk about a lot is the didactic. I mean, you go to a residency to learn, to continue learning. Define the word for me, Ben. So, yeah. So our, so at Wisconsin, we do, we, we have units, um, like, you know, educational units and they're, they're kind of like PT school where there'll be a combination of classroom and lab based things. And usually it's, it's myself and the other sports resident with one or two, uh, mentors, or it is us combined with the ortho residents. Um, but either way, it's a small group. Those are usually done on Thursdays. So the way our schedule worked, we, we didn't have any clinic treatment time on Thursdays. So Thursday, you know, either morning or all day, you're doing some type of didactic. And these didactics are, think of the stuff you learn in PT school, but then completely narrowed down and focused on sports. Um, so it's, you know, they take that surface level thing and just go very, very deep with it. Um, and it, and it's all very 
you know, good and timely stuff too. You know, a lot of, with Wisconsin, it is, it's applying a lot of times to the sport that's in season, you know, like where, you know, like our concussion unit, it happens right before football season. Um, so those type of things. Um, but one thing I, I tell people who are applying is to ask about how, you know, most residencies have a didactic. In fact, I think they all do. But I ask them how it's delivered. You know, that's a question you want to know from the residency you're applying at because I didn't even realize this through the application process. Um, there was one or two, but for the most part, from what I understand, a lot of residencies do a MedBridge didactic and it's essentially self-taught. Um, and to me, you know, if I'm, I, I don't know, that, that just leaves a, a bad taste in my mouth, yeah. you know? And yeah. one of the things I tell people about Wisconsin is that like this place, you're, you're, you're part of the family. It's the first thing you feel from the phone call you get to interview there. You feel like you're part of the family and the way they do the didactic says it, it says it all because they can, you know, these are senior clinicians who are making far more money treating people, right? But they they feel that you're important enough and your education is important enough to take those people out of the clinic for four or eight hours and teach you the stuff you need to know. Um, and I That's think awesome. that that speaks really highly to a, to a program. And I know there's others out there that do it similar, but that's something you want to know as opposed to, hey, am I going to be you know, expected to treat in the clinic, go to the training room and then do my didactic from, you know, 10 PM to 2 AM as I fall asleep with this computer in my lap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's great insight there. When I was looking at graduate schools, I, I did not do this, but looking back, I wish I would have to take a heavy look at the staff that is going to be teaching you. What is their background? Mm -hmm. And and what are they currently doing clinically? Are they treated, or are they or are they um, or are they just teachers? And kind of losing touch with with what is yeah. current um, evidence based practice. I didn't do that, but if I did, I, I may have made a different decision. Um, I'd imagine that's something also you could apply to residency, where you can look at where are these who are the instructors. That better be a good coffee in the background, and it better not be a light roast in the background. Look over there. Is that guy making a light roast? It's definitely a medium roast. I checked it out yesterday. By the way, it's a. I think you could just tell that by the sound. Of yeah. The grind. Yeah. What a little little bit of a firmer grind there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. Okay, so, um, can you apply that to residency? Can you look at the staff and say, who are these people and yeah. and who are they treating? I think you can. I don't know if it's as essential in residency because I mean, every single one of them was treating, um, okay. there, there, you didn't run into like, Oh, you know, this person's hasn't treated in 20 years. You know, it, okay. it wasn't anything like PT school. They're all active clinicians. And that's the yeah. thing. Another critical thing is like, these people have, it, we had, we had most people, I think over 10 years of experience in that clinic, which is another critical thing. That's crazy. That is crazy. Um, so, so that's not maybe an awful question to ask. Are there any other questions that you would say you want to ask when, when looking and determining residencies? I think a big part of it is going to be, um, the mentoring as well. Like what the structure of that is, mm -hmm. uh, because, because there are certain residencies out there that are more, fellowships you know if you if you ask them and ask the right questions you'll realize that hey these have more similarities to a fellowship than a residency 
What's the um, difference there? What do you mean by that? I mean, from what I understand, I, I, I haven't really looked too much into fellowships, um, but I think it's the mentoring. I think it's less mentoring and more, more outreach and that, that, uh, that balance of, you know, clinic time and outreach changes. Um, so, I mean, I think you want to know what the mentorship structure looks like. How is that done? Is it structured? You know, how many days a week? What does it look like? Stuff like that. Yeah. At first I I would be nervous that I would put a residency off by asking a lot of these questions. Mm -hmm. But then the more I think about it, maybe like if I'm the interviewer, Mm -hmm. I'm happy that the applicant kind of knows what they want and is, is as much grilling me as much as I'm grilling them. And that's a, that's absolutely what it is too. I mean, we are, we're, we're selling ourselves as much as their, the applicant is selling, you know, it's kind of like a, mutual relationship yeah um, yeah that's awesome i think as we were talking though one other thing that that really came to my to mind in terms of questions i think is uh, i want to know where former residents are now yeah because that's, that's going to speak to the connections they have the residency yeah. and that's really i mean that's that's really what any of this is in sports pt is is really who you know and the relationships you build along the way. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's probably more important than how good you are. You know, I don't yeah. know if that's a good thing, but, um, so I want to know where the former residents are and what they're doing now, because that's going to speak to, you know, myself and my goals, you know, do, can, are, are these things that I want to do or do I have no, you know, I don't want to do any of that stuff because then this might not be a good fit for me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds like you're hitting on the networking aspect of it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, yeah. and that's a piece of almost any, almost any field, certainly in what you and I do for a little, which is <laughs> yeah. how well can you connect? How well can you build out this network and decide where to go? Mm-hmm. Um, what, one like small piece of advice is I would take a piece of paper and write <laughs> out of order and put it on that coffee machine behind you. So no one use. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. I'll, you give me a second. I'll get up and do it. I'm not, I'm just going to jam the door to the whole room so no one can come in here. That's That'd a be good freaking idea. That would that yeah. would be way better. Um, okay, let's talk financials. Um, when you're going into a residency, what should a resident expect to make? Um, I think you're taking a. You can expect to take a anywhere from like a like a twenty to maybe. 40% pay cut, um, you know, the, and that's going to vary based on where you are and the cost of living and everything like that. Um, I mean, I'll be, I'll be transparent. We made 50,000 a year and that was in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, mm-hmm. now you think for the Midwest, that's pretty good, but Madison is, is, is like a hub in the Midwest. So it was definitely a little more expensive there. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I think it act, it actually just got bumped up to to fifty five or sixty. So um, that's something that people don't want to ask. You know, it's the the money question is always a hard question in any kind of interview. Yep. Um, and I know you've spoken on it, and and I agree with you. I think it's important to know, but I also don't think it should be the first thing. You know, that's yeah. that's being asked. Um, yeah. Okay. So and, so did you ask? You're interviewing. You said how much do how much am I going to make? To be honest with you, I didn't even ask. Because I, at this point, I, I was already invested 
And I knew that I, I knew that I was going to take a pay cut. I knew what the range of that pay cut was going to be. So it was like, I, whatever, they're going to, they're going to give me what they give me. And they talk about it in the, in the interview process, you know, they have a presentation of benefits and stuff like that. So. Okay. And 50,000, what were some of the other numbers that you saw across the eight that you applied to? Um, to be honest, I don't even remember. Um, I want to say, I want to say in that range, maybe the lowest was, was 45. Um, I want to say highest was maybe 55. It, there, there wasn't a huge difference in a, I think, I think probably a lot, a lot of reason too, was I was looking a lot, a lot of them tended to be in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty, I think standard, I don't know, price of living and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're looking at about 50 grand, whereas if you're a new graduate, you're expecting, or yeah, if you're a new graduate, you're expecting to make what? I don't know. I have, I had friends who left school make, you know, starting out making 80 to a hundred. So. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a 50% cut. You're doing it for a year. Your residency was one year. Yeah. It's 14 months. 14 months. Do they have other options? What's the range of years or time? Um, most of them are a year. Most of them are a year, give or take. We did 14 months because it allowed two month overlap. So the the, awesome. the incoming residents would come in, and then that would give us time to mentor them as well, which was also really cool. Yeah. Um, I know not all of them were 14 months and did that overlap. I think most of them were about a year. Um, I know I applied to Ohio State. I think they were 18 months. Oh wow. Okay. Um, also with that, I, I mean, that overlap, I presume. Yeah. They, they had like a six month overlap. Yeah. 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 So, so that's really cool. And, and by the way, that, that's going to color a little bit about, uh, of what I can take moving forward. I told you I was going to learn a ton during this is I want to know that. And here's why I want to know if your residency allowed you to overlap, because that tells me, you know, how to treat or you have experience mentoring, teaching, bringing someone else on. And so to me, maybe now I'm thinking this would be a great clinic director down the road. Mm-hmm. This, this would be a great teacher of professionals, not just yeah. athletes and patients because yeah. you've already done that. So, and that's something we ask our clinic directors to do at true sports. And I'm sure across the country that you want that clinical expert to also be making everyone else better. Oh, what yeah. an awesome opportunity to do that in the residency program. I didn't even think about that, but that's really cool to, to yeah. think that that's there and smart. And it's, on the program. And it's a totally different beast too. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I had, I had uh, an outgoing interview with one of my mentors, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, man, this is, it's completely different, you know, treating, getting mentored, you know, feeling confident with that and then having someone else come in and, and then mentoring them. And yeah. and it's cool because it, I'm super interested in it, but it really just, you know, two months are just scratching the surface. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting to hear like where you are in your career also, but, but from an age perspective, yeah. if you're younger, if, if a therapist is younger than the person coming in or has less experience than the person coming in, that's also interesting to me. You know, mm-hmm. I watch clinic directors today. Our COO at true sports is younger than a lot of the physical therapists that yeah. report to him. So how does he handle that? What is that like? Yeah. That can be a, that could be a challenge. 
now that I'm kind of um, older and I'm looking at, I'm talking to surgeons now that are younger mm. than me, that yeah. it's a totally different dynamic when yeah. I used to like, you know, feel like I was talking up. Sure. Um, now we're on, a, uh, from an age perspective, level playing field. It just, it just changes things and, and it colors the conversation and the ability to do both. Yeah, um, absolutely. Talk to someone, mentor someone who's older, younger than you. Um, those are great life skills um, that, that I think are worth highlighting. Um, that, that's really cool. That's a cool skill that, that you're able to kind of take away. What, walk me through a typical day as a resident. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's go with a Tuesday because those were, those were a little different. We'll do like a Tuesday and a Thursday. So, so UW health is unique, um, in their treatment model. We do 30 minute treats. Um, and, and I'm, I'm probably seeing someone once a week at, at a uh, minimum, um, and it could be, you know, no, but for most people, it's going to be every two weeks or every three weeks. Wow. So at first that was, that was tough. I struggled with that. Um, you learn really well to focus on what's really important and you cut the fluff out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it, it really speaks to how I like to treat in, um, it, it's, it's a bad business model, but I, I want to make people not need Essentially, I want to I want to make people resilient um, and I want to make them understand that, hey, you can do all this stuff on your own. So so in those 30 minutes, you had to get really, really good at educating people on, hey, how can we do this on our own versus oh, I need someone to, you know, rub my muscle, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that, though, we had we have what's called uh, spectrum and it's a three part um it's a three-part program, and it's a return to sport class, group class, essentially, mainly for ACL and lower extremity. Um, and it meets a couple days a week, and that's where that's where we fill the gap with our with our ACLs and stuff like that, where they're getting all the movement skills, they're getting you know higher level coaching stuff like that. So Tuesdays six forty, we have our three plus, which is a which is the the last stage. So we're working on. You know, uh, we're in the gym doing a lift. We're working on, we're on the, on the turf. We're doing uh, change of direction, you know, plyometrics, all the, the very late stuff. Um, that's for an hour on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we're, we're doing that. And then, you know, I might be able to Tuesdays. I start at nine 30. So I've got a nice little gap where I'll catch a workout. Um, treating from Tuesdays, I'm treating from nine 30 to about, six thirty or seven. Um and then that's that's pretty much that day. Now Tuesdays are normally depending on what location you're at, you've got mentoring at different times throughout that day. So Tuesdays for me at my last location, we're split into two different clinics. Um so at that clinic I had mentoring from twelve to two essentially. So that's an hour eval spot where the mentor sits in there with you. And then a 30 minute follow up, and then 30 minutes after that, where we we discuss what happened. Um, And and at that location, it's every Monday and Tuesday. And then at the at the other location, it's every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, And you're you're rotating mentors through, so it's not this. So each mentor has their own day, that type of thing. Um, And then 
that'll be a Tuesday. So Monday through Monday through Wednesday are pretty standard, just clinic treatment. Um, Thursday is where it gets interesting. Thursday, we start the day again with spectrum three plus in the morning. Um, I don't actually treat that day. So then I either go to didactic, um, which didactic is front loaded in the, in the first, you know, half or two thirds of the residency. So the last few months, we, we didn't have as much didactic on Thursdays. So we have a little bit more free time. Um, but usually it's, you know, we're at, we're at that spectrum class, then we're at didactic for either the morning, um, or the whole day. If it gets done by noon, then we're going to the, to the lab where we do research and the lab is at Badger athletic performance, which is underneath in the, or in the basement kind of, of, of camp Randall, which is the, the Badger stadium, um, right off of their, their training room. So you're in there, you know, anywhere from you're in there for a couple hours doing your research, you know, going to the, the overall lab meeting, that kind of thing. Um, we do that from about noon to three and then three, we need to be at the training room, um, at the high school and really you're, you're there until you're done. So, you know, there's days where we don't have any events going on and we're just treating. So I'll be there from three to five or three to six. And then there's other days where, you know, we'll, we'll start treating at three and then maybe we've got a, a basketball game or something and we're getting out of there, you know, nine or 10, that kind of thing. Wow. Um, wow. And, and when you say treating or treating on the 30 minute, with, with the, the appointment? No. So, so the high school training room is far more chaotic than that. It's, it's just people coming in and, you know, you might be, and that's, that's another really cool aspect of it. You know, you, you know, I know as, as sports PTs, we, we want to treat one-on-one and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, you're, you're in that training room, you might be treating 10 people at once, you know, and you're, you're triaging people. You got people over in this corner doing these exercises over here. Someone's laying on a table waiting to get checked out. Um, so that I really enjoyed that atmosphere. Um, just kind of like the controlled chaos in a sense. Um, but yeah, and then it's the same thing Friday. Friday is a little unique too. It's just a, it's a shorter treatment day. We're done at the clinic at two off to the training room. And then, you know, right now it's football season. So we, we travel with the football team. Um, and that's, that's the big thing for us. We travel with the football team. Um, and then we'll travel with other teams if they're in the playoffs, that kind of thing. So that's really and then cool. Saturday we're Saturday. We're just at the training room pretty much as long as we need to training room or whatever events going on. I mean, it sounds like a huge amount of hours. How many hours are you involved in residency over the week? It, yeah, it varies depending on the seat, like football season. I mean, I think you can get up to 80 during football season. Um, yeah. but then, you know, other times of the year, it, you know, you might have, it, it might be like 50 or 55, you know, just depends on, on what sports are in season, how many athletes are injured. The, the, the big variable with that is, is the outreach. I mean, you're pretty consistent 35 hours a week in the clinic. Um, wow. And this is like, this is the, the UW health sports, sports rehabilitation clinic at the, at the hospital there. So it's an outpatient setting outpatient setting on the 30 minute that's appointment based yeah that's more okay okay so um man there's knowledge and wisdom in all of in all of this i like hearing that someone who comes out of at least this wisconsin and i bet it's like this in a lot of them uh, residency program they they know how to grind that you only learn that by doing it 80 Mm -hmm. hours is a crazy number 
you know, I've heard therapists complain about having 35 hours of treatment or yeah. I've had therapists um, talk to me and say, you know, it's taking me an extra hour or two on top of my 40 hours of treatment to do my notes. Mm-hmm. Well, th- that's that's baked into the cake. And, and you learn that in residency. You better believe it's not going to be 80 hours. But if you can yeah. show me that you've done 80 hours or 50 hours, mm-hmm. you're showing me you know how to work. It's, mm-hmm. it's very similar to when I see um, therapists come across or apply for a job with us and I see ATC on their background. I yeah. just know oh, that yeah. you've worked your ass off before. You might, yeah. you might not know the clinical stuff, but you've worked, right? So, so yeah, th- th- there's huge value in there. What, what are the big takeaways that you had from your research experience? Yeah, I'll be honest. Research, it was not my, my favorite element of the residency. Um, and I think the, the main reason for that is I just felt like a fish out of water. I'm not, you know, I'm not, we use a lot of Excel. I'm not great with Excel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think the positive of that is, you know, one, you know, I learned how to do it. I had some, I had some great mentors. Um, and, and part of the, part of UW Health is you choose, you have the option to either choose a research or an outreach track. Um, and it's supposed to be one is, you know, heavier focused than the other. It doesn't always, it didn't turn out that way, but I chose the research track because I'm, you know, I have the opportunity to be around, you know, Brian Heiderscheid and Dan Cobian for the next year, the next 14 months, never going to get this opportunity again. And these, these people are super smart. I just want to be around them. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I did. So, you know, just, just being around them, I think you get an appreciation for the research process itself. You get a, you get an inside look into, you know, how it actually happens, how, you know, how we go from, you know, collecting subject data and stuff like that to, you know, this, this research article that you're reading and applying. Um, so that's super helpful. Uh, but I think, I think too, it, it kind of sets us up, you know, for later in our career, you know, when we, if there comes a point where we want to transition into do more research, or maybe we want to do some research and it kind of gives us an overview of that process too. Yeah. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Um, what, what actually goes into that? How do you yeah. determine the question that you're studying? Um, and, and then how do you make that process as clean as possible? I always yeah. wonder like when, when I'm, you know, I, I sit through these journal clubs, which, um, Dr. Race Hauser does an awesome job of it at true sports of, of just, pooling some research, finding an interesting topic or, or study to examine. And then we Mm -hmm. pick that thing apart like crazy. On the other side, if you're the researcher, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to crap on your study if you have a small sample size, right? Uh, So how do you, what actually transpires to putting that together? And what are some of the limiting factors that limit the Heiderscheids of the world from putting together the absolute perfect study? It's a good question. Um, I'll try and answer it. I think, I think my surface level understanding of research is probably going to limit me here though. But um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with, with your, with your subjects and who you have access to and remembering that they are human, right? These aren't, these aren't robots that you're, that you're testing, you know, they're, they're humans that are, that are dealing with, you know, in, in this case, they're college athletes, you know, who are dealing with anxiety, depression, traveling home, you know, to see family. Um, so I think there's, I think there's a lot of limitations based on, you know, who you can get, you know, 
how you, how you can capture them, how they've been, how they've been documented or captured, you know, in the past or before they even get to you, that kind of thing. Because with us too, you know, we're, they have a huge hand in Badger athletic performance, or I should say like with the, with athletics in general there, um, you know, but it's still a separate entity. So, you know, the, the coaches and the trainers are doing one thing and, you know, sometimes it doesn't, it's not exactly how, you know, Brian or Dan would do things, you know? And, and so I think that that might, uh, interfere with things, but I, there's, I think there's just a lot of elements at play when you're dealing with, with humans, um, on this level, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I, th I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, you bring up all these factors that we know can affect performance or output or ability, things like sleep, things like nutrition, things like mental health that we know translate to the gym um, and performance metrics. And I can imagine it, it gets really convoluted and there are a lot of mitigating factors. Um, it, it's worth it's worth taking that away when when you're ripping apart a study to try to discern what is controllable, what's not, how can I take this and apply it to my patient, you know, in Baltimore, in Florida, wherever you are, yeah. um, and, and what matters. So I think that that's, that's interesting. That's kind of, that's kind of eye opening. Um, okay. So you've given us an, an awesome kind of overview of your Wisconsin experience. Um, what do you wish you saw more out of your residency? Good question. We, my my co-resident and I would always say we wish we saw more training room. Um, you know, as a as a physical therapist, I think treating someone acutely is is something that's new to most of us. You know, yeah. if we don't have that athletic training background, um, but it was so valuable to experience that that I just I just wish that I had more training room. That's you know, every single resident gives that that feedback and their outgoing interviews is, you know, more training, but, um, mm -hmm. but you know, it's a, it, it's a business and at some point, you know, we gotta, we gotta pay the bills too. So it's a balance. I think of how much, you know, clinic treatment we can get. And then also in the training room, because we're not, we're not, we're not getting paid, you know, while the, while the athletic trainers or UW health employees, you know, we're not making the top money being in the training room. Um, mm -hmm. but I wish we could have more, I, if I could, I'd be in the training room every day. Um, just because you you get so many reps in there um, that it's it's just so hard to replicate. You don't have the the structure or the oversight that you do, you know, in the clinic where you're worried about you know documenting. Um, mm -hmm. It's just the interactions are so much more um, you know just ground level, and you, you know you're you're, interact, you're interacting with these high school athletes who are for most most you know, for all intents and purposes, trying to figure out who they want to be in life, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, they, they think some of them think they're the coolest people in the world and other, and others think that they're, that they're the exact opposite, you know, and it's, it's cool to just be a part of that, that, you know, journey with them, um, mm -hmm. from like a medical standpoint, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I just, the, the atmosphere in that training room was amazing. Um, and I just wish, wish we could have been in there every day for sure. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, along that that training room experience that you got, um, I, I got an awesome question um, from a, a longtime buddy of mine, Haley Wong. She's she's an athletic trainer, um, and she really wanted to know how is it that at a high level you handle 
acute strains mm -hmm. and how you attack those things right after they happen from an intervention standpoint. Can you speak to that at all? Maybe s some of what you saw, because I think it's unique that you see them really quick in that athletic training room. A lot of clinicians that simply practice in the outpatient sector aren't going to see those for a few days until yeah. they come in. Any insight well, on how you handle those? First thing, stop stretching them. Um, stop stretching. Stop uh, stretching. The, I can't tell you how many of these athletes come to me and they're like, oh, you know, my hamstring's tight. I'm like, mm -hmm. it's probably not tight, man. Stop stretching it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, the first thing is, is just kind of just getting that out there, that knowledge base. There's so much out, like, bad information out there. Mm -hmm. Um there's that. Um, one of the things that, that we really implemented here at Wisconsin, and, and Wisconsin has a, a pretty big like hamstring um, research base too, but one of the things that we started utilizing was was like nerve glides and nerve flossing, um, especially for, for acute hamstring injuries and even in those first you know few few weeks, with the idea that you know, the hamstring is a muscle that when it gets injured, there's a lot of bleeding that occurs, um, you know, which, you know, there's thought that, hey, maybe maybe we can create some neural adhesions in there. And then which could potentially contribute to chronic hamstring strains or, you know, mm -hmm. repairs, that type yeah. of thing. Um, so I think that's that's one of the things we get them going on early. Um but, but really that, I mean, obviously, you know, we'll get them on isometrics pretty early as well. Um, and that's, that's one of the, that's one of the things that, that we utilized a lot, like on the field, you know, like, let's say, for example, you're trying to get this, the big game, you're trying to get this guy to be able to finish the game. And, you know, he, he has maybe like a very mild grade one hamstring strain and, and, you know, we're not worried about next week. We're worried about today. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we, like, you know, we would implement a lot of isometrics on the field as well, um, at, versus stretching, mm -hmm. um, you know, just kind of digging that, digging that heel into the ground or various positions, that kind of thing and teaching them how to do it on their own in between drives, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, um, and then, and then also just, you know, working, working above and below, you know, if you're thinking if there's a muscle that's, that's strained or, you know, you're thinking about what's happening on like a, mechanical basis, you know, you've got a, a tear there is pulling apart, you know, Hey, can we relieve tension of this muscle either, you know, top side or bottom side, it's going to reduce the amount of stress on that, um, you know, through foam rolling, soft tissue, you know, obviously very acutely and, and, and short acting, but Hey, that could, that could get someone through a drive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that's gold because what you're doing is you're treating, not just the tissue, the offending tissue, you're treating the neuromuscular system. And I think yeah. pulling that into play is worthwhile. That's your, that's your isometric. That's what you're affecting with the isometrics. Yeah. You're, you're mm -hmm. affecting the brain's ability to contract that muscle. And then looking more holistically, um, systemically, how do we offload it? Um, how do we consider what the hamstring has to do? What the hamstring has to do, by the way, um, differs based upon joint angle. W what is the knee angle? What is the hip angle? The two joints across um, and how do you tailor your intervention to that? Now you're talking about handling an entire athlete, right? And it goes back to what we first talked about, which is this, this system. 
the, the way we were put together and trying to understand it the best we can and then tailoring our intervention to the way we know we were put together as well as addressing um, that immediate or, or focal response of the actual hamstring tear. So well put, Ben Kelly. Thank you for handling that question. Let me hit you with our lightning round. So Do don't it. overthink these, Benjamin. Okay. okay? Just first respond. thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Ready? All right. Have you ever had a tattoo removed? <laughs> yes. And what tattoo was that? I feel like you knew that question. I did. I had no idea. By the way, uh, you're, the first, you're the first patient I've ever had on this podcast. Really? Yeah. So we, okay. we can talk all about your, all right. your gastrox and your soleus from an in-depth <laughs> standpoint. But I just bought you some time. What tattoo did you have removed? I had, a, I had the uh, cursive Orioles O um, right on my thumb. So and well, I guess like right, right in there, right there in the snuff yeah. box, the snuff box, yeah, the, the snuff box. And are you going to put it back somewhere now that they're amazing? Yeah, seriously. Right. I've waited my entire adult life for this. <laughs> well, I guess my entire life period. Life. Um, yes, great. Uh, probably not. Probably not. I've, I've not thought about, no, you know, that, that was, that was when I was trying to decide if I was going to get that tattoo. That was the other place that I was thinking about getting it. I'm just like, thank God I didn't do that. Thank God um, didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they couldn't remove it. The laser, it was so dark that the guy's like, this is going to require like 15 laser treatments. And it was a hundred dollars a piece. And oh, by the way, we got to wait six weeks or so in between treatment. I was like, man, it's going to take three years. Like this was to yeah. get into the Coast Guard. So I found a guy who does the uh, the Mohs surgery, you know, like the skin cancer. Yep. Um, and he was like, oh yeah, I'll cut that out for you. And he he literally just traced it like a football, cut it out, sewed it together. So that is gross. Um, Are you missing any thumb mobility? Thumb mobility is good. A little bit of uh, numbness still over the incision site, but you know, all things considered, I got away. It's got clean. It's pro it's probably not coming back. That sensation's not probably coming back. Not. No. Okay, what is the biggest misconception of residency? I think the biggest misconception is that once you get in, you've made it. You know, if you think about physical therapy, this like it's for a lot of people who are very interested in climbing that ladder you know, like in terms of education, like residency is a, a pinnacle in a sense, you know, obviously you can go on a fellowship and stuff like that. But so I think a lot of times the thought is, Hey, the hard work has been done to get here. You know, the hard work has been done to get into PT school. Then, you know, it's harder to get into residency on oh, here. I made it perfect. Let's just coast. Um, and you can do that, but I mean, I think it's a huge mistake. You know, you're, you're there for a year. Um, and it's, it may seem like a long time, but that year is going to fly by. You can do anything for a year. And I think instead of having the idea of, Hey, I've made it, I'm just going to coast now, you know, that's not the time to let off the gas. You know, it's, it's time to, I think, hammer down and just, for me, it was just taking every opportunity available. You know, it's all right. Long nights, not a lot of sleep, you know, your health suffers a little bit, but you know what? it's, it's for a year. It's for a year and it's going to, it's going to pay dividends. Yeah. Yeah. It, it clearly has. Okay. What athlete are you dying to have a beer with? Good question. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Ray Lewis being a, being a Baltimore Good guy. Answer. Good yeah. freaking answer. And what's the first question you're asking that guy? Mm. I want to know 
I want to know the dynamics, like what was going through his mind when he was playing people like Roethlisberger, Jerome Bettis, people like that. Because growing up a Ravens fan, I mean, that was, I mean, that was like the pinnacle of Smash Mouth football, AFC North in the, you know, the, the early to mid 2000s. And, you know, everything you hear about Ray Lewis was he was this, not only this, you know, athletic specimen, but he was just as smart, if not, you know, maybe that was his strength actually. Um, so I want to know kind of what was going on with him and, you know, on the field, his preparation, all, and you've heard some of that, you know, through, through media and stuff, but I'd like to hear from him. That'd be cool. I want to know what happened in Atlanta. That's what I want to know. Yeah. (laughs) I also want to know. Maybe we'll get to that. Get to that couple beers in. I also want to know how the hell he got back on a field hitting grown men six weeks after rupturing and then repairing uh, his triceps. Do you, do you really want to know that though? I do now. I do now because the the whole curtain has been pulled back for me with professional sports. So yeah, I want to know. Yeah, um, yeah. And I want to know what Mahomes did at halftime at the Super Bowl. And I, I, I yeah, I want to know the nitty gritty. And I think there's value in that. And I think it's, Otherwise, we're fooling ourselves if if we think, if you, you know, the, yeah absolutely if you if you think you know he's just a very good heal, healer as they say he's a good healer he's a good healer <laughs> yes and and Barry Bonds just got yeah. much stronger from thirty eight yeah. to forty one years old yeah um but but I want to hear freak of nature free he's just a freak right he's just yeah. a freak um okay last but not least what is the best um PT podcast out there not called the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. I have been listening a lot to uh, Danny Matei's, the the PT Entrepreneur podcast. Um, I, I think it's you know whether you want to start a business or not. I think it I think it's just good. It's 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 different. You know, it seems like most physical therapy podcasts are focused on you know treatment and stuff like that. But I, but this is this is almost like you know marketing yourself in a sense, and you know I've talked about that a lot with with some coworkers. Is you know you you look at chiropractors for example, you know I don't know this for a fact, but I bet you you know a large chunk of their program is spent on business and marketing and you know self promotion and stuff like that. I mean, they're good at yeah it. yeah, and and it shows. So I think I think you know I've always said physical therapists are too nice. You know, it, it's kind of in our in our nature. We want to help people, but it, but in essence, that leads to us getting walked on a lot of times. Yeah. Um, you know, by insurance companies, by large larger businesses, stuff like by that. doctors, yeah, physicians. Yeah. Yep. Um. So I so I you know I know that Danny doesn't really talk about that stuff in particular, but I like the topic of what he has in, in regard to kind of like you know self marketing, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and you know, I had him on the podcast. And I would say uh, my my takeaway from that was his ability to connect, relate, explain um, is <laughs> is top notch. And I think yeah. that's what that's what makes a good marketer. Um, but he he comes from a position, by the way, not so unlike yourself. You know, he was a military guy and yeah. um, he, had, he had a lot of structure behind him and, and kind of being able to see this larger scale of what he's capable of, what the profession is capable of. I love hearing that in his pod. So I think that's a great recommendation. Go check out Danny Matei. Um, really, really a great resource, just like yourself, Ben Kelly. You have been 
awesome. I am so impressed with where you are and where you're going. It's it's amazing to watch. It's amazing Appreciate to see. You've, you've always been a learner, um, and that that motivates me. Um, that motivates me to get better, and and I think it motivated a lot of the people you came in contact with at True Sports. Um, you're teaching a lot more than you're learning, and you're learning a whole hell of a lot. So that's saying something. So appreciate that. Benjamin Kelly, thanks for being you. Thanks for being on this pod. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait to see what the next few years hold for you because it's going to be awesome. Absolutely. You know, I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, and it's been a pleasure. Um, as always, we want to hear from you. Hit me yeah. True Sports PT on Instagram or shoot me a direct email, Yoni, Y-O-N-I at TrueSportsPT.com. I just want to know how we did, what you thought of Ben Kelly, and where can they find you? Um, I'm mainly on Instagram. It's coach.kelly.dpt. Yeah, a, a great follow. There, there's, there's great information that you're putting out there. So thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you yeah. soon. Bye-bye.